Hey, Lee Frequencies Open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the live podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and I'd like to thank the writers of this episode for the addition of two little words, personal log. More on that later. Joining me on the show, as usual, is my co-host. She's also the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast, a more or less family-friendly friendly celebration of geekdom on the Chronic Rift Network. It's Ella Pearson. Ella, welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you. Ella? Ella, <laughs> are you there? Yes. Are you all Can right? Can you hear me? Yes. Um, is your heart beating? I'm okay. It was. It, my heart is beating. It was less stressful than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yes. But um, a lot of feelings were involved. Yes. And like I a, think. Um, I think. Yeah, well, like a, like we'll get into what we're talking about in a second. But like the return of a lot of major characters or major moments, it's not exactly the splash that we expect. It's a little more subtle. And, uh, of course, we'll talk about what we're talking about in just a little bit. Also joining us on the show once again is Mikan Hana of the Just Enough Trope podcast. Just Enough Trope is a show that examines the depths of your favorite pop culture fandom and brings you all the news that's fit to cast in the world of nerdy entertainment. Mika, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, you invented something recently, Mika, that I had to share with a Star Trek audience, and that is okay. Voyager Babies. <laughs> Yes, it's like Muppet Babies, except it's right. Voyager crew. Yes, I can see <laughs> this. It's perfect, yeah. You've got Tom <laughs> Paris. He's all crabby, right? He's got a little bow, a little tuft of hair on yeah. his head. <laughs> Janeway, you know, she's a little older. She's bossy. She's a bossy baby. And then you've That's got right. Tuvok, of course. He's adorable, doesn't cry at all, just stares straight forward. And then Harry Kim <laughs> is like not born yet or he's preemie i don't know if that's a little too far but he's very young <laughs> for a baby yes he he's he's the babiest of the babies <laughs> uh i love your idea uh born out of i think you remarking that it seems like because uh, you watched uh, the pilot of voyager recently and you're like I, it seems like yeah. Cass isn't going to be alive when they get there and i was like i don't think no. any, none of them are going to be alive when they get there that's the premise yeah <laughs> but what about their babies Little babies yes, running this exactly. Starfleet vessel. It's all automated. They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> uh, I wanted to take this moment, uh, this self-indulgent moment, to tell a story that I forgot to tell last week, and I really wanted to. Uh, last week, we had Mo from Sound of Cosplay on, and she's an amazing cosplayer. You can find her stuff at Instagram, uh, Sound of Cosplay. But she cosplays uh, Night Vale, or she has in the past. And I was going to tell the story about the time that I met Cecil. You know this story. Oh, my God. Right, Mika? Yes. I was on the street and I was, there's two different buildings. And so, you know, I was going across the street and I was sort of looking through the windows at like the Lego display that was on the first floor. And there's a guy standing next to me doing the same thing, just hanging out. And I didn't want immediately, if you know what he looks like, he's very um, distinctive looking. Uh, and I yeah. didn't want to do that thing where it's like, oh my, you're, are you him? You're him, aren't you? You know, that whole thing. So instead I was just sort of like, uh, hey, like the show. And he immediately like was like, oh, okay, this is a fan. I, I understand what's going on here. And he's like, yo, thank you. And we had a little chat. He had a huge bag of like uh, underground comics that he had picked up. I guess he's into oh. like, um, you know, just like uh, cool underground comic stuff. And so he had been on the floor earlier. So we chatted for a little while. And um, I think this was this. I think this was before. Oh, they were doing a live show that night somewhere at a club in town. And I wished him uh, good luck on the show. And th that hey. was it. So I told you it wasn't that great of a story. 
Well, it's better than the story that I thought of. So. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, he's not on the show tonight, uh, but we are here to talk about Star Trek Discovery. And I had the audacity on our last supplemental episode to say that there was no Trek news worth talking about. And like clockwork, two huge announcements appeared just as I was posting the show. Uh, the first one is, of course, that Star Trek Discovery will be returning for a third season, which is exciting. Woo-hoo. You guys don't sound excited, but I know you are in your hearts. No, and, I'm definitely excited. I'm waiting for the second part. Oh, okay. Yeah, what's, what's the other shoe? Uh, it's being written now. It's shooting, uh, uh, well, it's expected to begin shooting it this summer in Toronto. And it was also announced that Michelle Paradise, who joined the writing staff of Discovery for the second half of its second season, will be serving as co-showrunner along with Alice Kurtzman on the next season. And she previously served as co-executive producer on the CW series, The Originals, and she wrote the upcoming Discovery episode, Project Daedalus, that we talked about last week. So it's all good news. (laughs) I mean, I guess it's a good thing that the Kurtz is not doing it alone anymore. So, (laughs) yeah, that he's getting some help. Okay, you think he needs help? I mean, the whole this whole season, you've been pretty pleased with, and, and he's the guy in charge. Well, that's true. I mean, I don't know. It's it's always good to have an, a second pair of hands, right? <laughs> I suppose that's true. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot I of think things they to came, carry. They when came you're a show close runner. to a slip up there, but they they recovered. They yeah. almost fumbled, but yeah, and everything's stuck. The landing. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also read an article saying uh, that uh, it was an interview with Jonathan Frakes. He talked about how he is going to direct at least one episode of the upcoming Picard show, which is still at this point due in late 2019. And he also said that he'd seen parts of Lower Decks, and he says that it's hilarious. It's it's coming together really well. Well, that's good. It yeah, is. that's very encouraging. I'm yeah. so, I'm like, I have so much hope for that show that I think will be, will be, you know, delivered upon, but... I'm just, I'm always a little worried, so it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Ella, generally worried. I mean, yes. (laughs) Well, tonight we've seen the seventh episode of Star Trek Discovery, uh, season two, Light and Shadows, and we're here to break it down for you. And before we start, as always, we're setting a course for the Spoiler Zone listeners, so be warned. We're glad you've decided to join us, but if you haven't seen the episode, spoilers are incoming. The official synopsis for The Sound of Thunder that's not the sound of thunder, it's light and shadows, is Burnham goes to Vulcan in search of Spock, where she unearths surprising family secrets in researching what is left of the Red Angel's signal over Kaminar. Pike and Tyler end up in battle with time itself. Giorgio has a few tricks up her sleeve for Leland and Section 31. I like how these recaps or these synopses are getting multifaceted, like they're they're split into like A, B, and C (laughs) storyline. Uh, this episode was written by Ted Sullivan and Vaughn Wilmot. Sullivan is a co-executive producer on Discovery, and he previously wrote the episode What's Past His Prologue, and he co-wrote the episode Lethe with Joe Minoski. And he, uh, let's see here, uh, Wilmot formerly wrote, uh, is a former executive producer and writer for Fox's Prison Break, and he wrote the pilot for the sci-fi series Dominion. He got a start in Hollywood as an actor, and he appeared as a Bajoran security officer in the six-season TNG episode Descent, Part 1. This episode is directed by Marta Cunningham. Cunningham is also a former actor. She's directed episodes of shows like Pretty Little Liars, Transparent, and How to Get Away with Murder. This is her first directing gig with Star Trek. 
And before we get into this, let's scan for new theories quick. Um, I think we have a pretty good track record of tracking possible spoilery theories about what's coming up in disco. I'll point, of course, to our <laughs> exemplary work with the Tyler Volk connection. There's a new one going around, and it's not exactly new. I've, I've seen this in a place or two, but it is pretty popular. And if you don't want any information at all, then if this is the point where you go la 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 for about two minutes, because we're going to talk about a theory here. But some people think that the Red Angel is Zora, that is the AI of the discovery from a thousand years in the future, who has given herself a mechanized body and she's come come back and she's doing things in time. What do you guys think? Huh. That's an <laughs> interesting okay. theory. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta draw a line right here. I'm gonna need a little more than huh on all things going forward. What, what do you think? Why I wanna know why she would do that. Um, uh, I have a theory, but first let's hear from Mika. Mika? Um, it seems kind of sinister, like I kind of a sinister turn for her. And she seemed to be like, um, you know, rather benevolent, at least in the short track that we saw. Um, and be, she seems to be fairly considerate of like, you know, human beings or, or other life forms. So I just kind of wonder why she would like leave people on like this huge um, trail or like, you know, second guessing and everything. Um, unless she just got bored and she just decided she was just going to mess with people for some reason. <laughs> Bored AI is we need yeah. forget forget the uh, uh, Rocco's Basilisk for everything else. Bored AI is what we really got to worry about here in the future. Uh, you're absolutely right. Um, I think that if you live in uh, the future a thousand years from now, because you have lived a thousand years, lived in quotes, then you have a lot of perspective. You know everything that's happened, or at least what you can pick up through your sensors or through data links. And maybe some things happen that you don't think are that great. And maybe over a thousand years, your advanced AI can crack time travel. Uh, maybe you're even parked near some kind of anomaly or high gravitational force that can facilitate that. And so you decide, guess what? I'm going back in time. Enough Audrey Hepburn movies. I'm going to take off the sunglasses and the pearl necklace and put on a robot suit. And now I'm Audrey Hepburn traveling through time trying to fix things and, you know, change the circumstances that led to the horrible war that Kraft is involved in in the short trek Calypso. Because if you look at the short treks, every one of these short treks that we've run into all sort of reflect what's happening now in a way. Um, not exactly, but kind of. Tilly meets an, uh, another girl that she doesn't really understand, and she has to sort of learn something about herself. You know, we've got Kraft could be setting up the time travel that we're already seeing in this part of the season, and so on and so forth. No, no, huh? Even for that? That's worth a huh? <laughs> um, I just, I guess I want to know what, uh, if it is her... Like, why is she doing this? What is the the end point or what does she want the results to be like? Uh, is she leading like discovery, like with like breadcrumbs through like the universe? Like, or is she like taunting them to catch her or something like that? Or Possibly. like, what does she want? If you know that X and X and X, X and Y and Z, I guess things are going to happen, then you can be then you have an agenda that to you is doing X, Y, and Z, but to us looks like 
you are in different places in the galaxy or different times as well. So it's cool that she saved a bunch of people who were going to get nuked in World War Three, but maybe it was mm. literally just so 200 years later one of their descendants could, you know, give the helmet to Pike or something like that. You know, when you're outside of time or when you're from a farther remove, then you have context that, that we don't have. Kind of like Daniels in uh, in Enterprise. Like he's trying to go back and get Archer to do stuff so it can sort of manipulate the future. Mm-hmm. That's what I got. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Welcome back to MummyCast, where we don't say anything. Uh, let's uh, get into our discussion of tonight's episode. And I wanted to say quick that uh, what I was saying before, I know it's popular to start a weekly TV show these days with some kind of voiceover, uh, usually like a lyrical monologue about the emotional stakes of what we're going to see. But Trek has always had that, and it usually begins with, captain's log or personal log so i like the fact that we still got a monologue that fit from uh from burnham about what was going on but instead you know it gets put into uh the envelope of a personal log and that's uh it's, i like that what'd you guys think of Me this too. episode <laughs> what'd you guys think of the episode mika um i liked it it um there's a lot of time travel and um things dealing with time and like you know i felt like Tilly saying you put time in front of anything and it sounds cool. I, you know, that was a very Tilly line. And what about, um, what about a time lampshade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, so that was fun. And then like, also like, uh, bringing Stamets, Stamets in and being like, you know, he can help navigate this because of the tardigrade, like DNA that's inside of him and everything. Yeah, he's like um, Time Lord now. He's got like time power. I thought that was kind of interesting. I know. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say these lines are so Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now like the next – he's kind of like Troy now though because like the next t- – every time they meet like some uh, deceptive or um, duplicitous alien, Troy's got to be off the ship or has to be like directly right. psychically attacked by that thing. So now anytime that they have like a time problem, they're like, get stamets, no problem. But they have to like, oh, he's off the ship or he fell asleep or something like that. So they can't solve the problem right away. Right. Well, I, I wonder where, like, Culver was, like, this episode. Like, he was very absent from this episode. And I, I kind of feel like he's probably still trying to come to terms with being alive again. Yeah. And... Yeah, he's just sitting around staring at stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's not so exciting to watch. <laughs> Looking at that can of scar polish, and it's like, what am I going to do with all this scar polish now? <laughs> I saw some theories that, and I don't know how I feel about this, but I was reading on online some theories about like how people think that maybe he's a different person now. I mean, he's you know literally a different person, but like a different in his personality. Um, people were speculating that since he kind of pulls away from. Uh, from Stamets um, when Stamets is talking to him in sickbay, like maybe he's not in love with, with Stamets anymore. What do you guys think about that? I think he's still in love with Stamets. I think he's just like an incredible shock. Like the most shock that just about any human being could ever be in, you know, and even, even more so because this is, you know, this is sci-fi. This is not necessarily something that could ever happen to us in real life. <laughs> Right. But but to have like a, a new body to feel like 
an an alien, if you will, in your in your own skin. That's just that's terrifying. And he probably needs a ship counselor. I don't know if they have one or not, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't think so. If they did, you know that um, Admiral Cornwell would have like ordered Lorca to go visit the ship's ship's counselor. Yeah, she was a sure. counselor. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's a problem, but I mean, it's a very sci-fi problem, though, and I think that that's cool. And usually on a Star Trek program, we got somewhere to be next week, so we're never going to look into that. Like, how do you feel about being from a different timeline, Harry Kim? Nothing. We just keep going. And so I I like the fact that we are sticking with this, and I'm sure he's going to be on future episodes for us to to dig into that more. Yeah, probably. Yeah, we we get to see Vulcan in this episode, which I thought was really cool. And it's not the usual. Uh, usually, when we see Vulcan, you know, we know that it's a, a red, you know, a dusty desert planet, and maybe we see one building or a temple or two. But we get to see, you know, a, a real metropolis on Vulcan that looks kind of futury, and I was uh, I was really impressed by that. I love that. I love um, it not being uh, destroyed by J.J. Abrams. All for for that. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I I was just going to say, I was kind of impressed that Sarek and Amanda had a landing pad at their house. (laughs) Yeah, their house is like, they're really like Vulcan upper class over there. He's important. The ambassador's estate... Yeah. And I like how when she comes in, you know, they're like, are you here for business? You know, is this official business? And it's just like, no, I'm here to do my laundry, basically. Like, I I live here. I (laughs) live here. So she just gets right back in. Um, We get to see a little more of uh, of baby Spock. Speaking of uh, Voyager babies, it's Spock babies. He's so cute. He is really cute. I know. (laughs) It's funny. I don't. I don't know how you'd get a um, sort of haggard Leno, uh, Leonard Nimoy looking kid, but uh, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely uh, <laughs> very cherubic uh, and very cute. And we learned something interesting about him. Uh, we learned that Spock, uh, when he was younger, um, had a uh, condition called uh, Latacturi, which uh, they heavily imply, and then they just basically come out and say is sort of like a Vulcan dyslexia, which I found to be uh, interesting. Yeah, I love that. I really love what they're doing. They're really like expanding his character in ways that we really haven't seen before, I feel like. And I'm uh, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, the real story, of course, is that everybody's been looking for Spock and uh, he was in the one place no one would look, which is home <laughs> where he was supposed to be. Literally, I'm out. so right. He was literally just in, in a friggin cave yeah. on Vulcan. And Amanda's <laughs> yeah. like, I, my son is gone. I do not know where he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my lord i i don't know yeah uh tell me what it is yeah yeah um and I, he's uh he's in a cave of i think they said uh katra stones which apparently block telepathy yeah which what is a katra stone <laughs> katra stones which is like i i could totally see something like like this existing just the nerd in me does you know point to the fact that they've said before that there's no technology that we know of that can block telepathy, but I don't know, maybe natural formations can. And so we need a name. Um, stones, Katra, Vulcan word, Katra stones. Got it. <laughs> yes. but, that, but that explains uh, why he is there. You also um, we see him in a uh, in a state of logical psychosis, basically, like he is just completely lost in his thoughts. And just kind of uh, uh, bouncing uh, uh, against the walls of this cave. 
And he keeps repeating uh, this number over and over to himself, um, 841947, which is weird. Um, and if Burnham, of course, has seen a TV show before, so she's like, uh, flip that around. Oh, okay, it's 749148. <laughs> Which turns no, out. No, didn't to... you hear he had dyslexia? He, that's right. He exactly. flips the all number. The were there. They were all there. Yeah. Uh, and of course, those are coordinates, it turns out, for the planet Talos 4, which is like, okay. Um, he just gave her a speech. <laughs> Sarah just gave her a speech about how, like, well, you almost lost your entire career, but you're back now, and I don't want to lose you again. What's that? You're going to break General Order 7? And violate the only law which they still put you to death for in the federation going to tell us for okay let me know how that goes send me a postcard <laughs> and skipping ahead just a bit we do see what looks like some telosians we see some big-headed guys yeah mm-hmm. oh oh i'm so excited <laughs> this would be a good time I'm to ready point... for some drama <laughs> yeah yeah uh, this would be a good time to point uh, listeners to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Uh, we have a feature called Stellar Commentaries, where we are going through original series episodes. I love them, but they are very silly sometimes. And so we're doing a uh, riff tracks type, uh, just kind of just kind of riffing, just kind of having fun, uh, making jokes and poking fun uh, lovingly at these episodes. And our first one is about the cage. So you can check that out if you want to watch The Cage again. Um, I noticed something specific, which is it looks like those Talosians are played by men. And, of course, the Talosians in the original Cage were played by women uh, with men's voices dubbed over. So I don't know if this is... Oh, I did like, not know that. Yeah, yeah, they're played by actresses. So I don't know if this is Why? just... Why? Or qua? Because they liked the unsettling nature of having... Uh, quote unquote frail let's just say smaller um face than a than a man's face but then having like a vic perrin kind of booming voice coming out of them okay love that for the 60s yeah right well that was <laughs> yeah that was really weird in the 60s. they also had a big funky purple chicken in one of the uh, cages next to pike so that was real scary too uh speaking of pike let's go back to the pike story that's going on in this episode uh, he's got to work it out. He and Tyler are going to go on a bro trip, and they're just gonna they're just gonna bang it out. They're just gonna get those feelings out. <laughs> and they're gonna do some bonding, and they're gonna figure this thing out. And of course, All that right. involves them uh, just getting... guys being dudes. Yep, just guys being dudes fighting metal octopuses. It happens, and uh, yep. this involves, of course, a time rift that they are sucked into. Um, and <laughs> there's, I mean, I can't even recount everything that happens. Like there are a lot of particular. Uh, enticing facts that are dangled in front of us throughout this sequence. What did you guys make of what was uh, of, of the time rift sequence? Of the when he sees ahead, or just well, like just, the whole thing in general? Yeah, the whole thing in general. What do you? So we see a the probe is converted into a metal squid or something. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, we don't know. We know it's from the future. Uh, but we don't really exactly know where or why. Um, there's there's just a lot going on, and I'm kind of wondering if this is, if we are to expect more incursions from the future, if the threat that we're looking at is in the future, is it related to, it's not angel-shaped, it's squid-shaped. So what's happening? Mika, impressions? Um, well, it seems like somebody is out to get them or something like that. If their own probe is like attacking them for some reason. And like it, they said a couple of times, it's our probe, but somebody has done some altercation or not altercations, um, 
alterations. Uh, they you know, alterations. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and I don't think it was squid-like at all before. And now we don't have a squid like, probe, do we? <laughs> I know, right? And now it's very squid-like and is attacking them physically, like somehow, like through the shuttle. Yes. And um, just like messing with them, and they somehow know it's like from. 500 years in the future like i don't know if they could scan it and that's what it t- told them but right um yeah so then they also made the conclusion that if it wants to kill us or hurt us in some way like maybe the red angel does too because they're from the future too we think maybe so um it's just kind of uh impending doom is what it kind of <laughs> seems like to me um Yeah, it also was like stealing data, right? Right, yeah. Yes. And in the end, we are led to believe that Dr. Robot might be taken over. Yes. Yeah, that was creepy. There was some some red in her eyes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm scared for (laughs) Ariam. Yeah, something that I was thinking of, and I don't know if this is a crazy idea or not, but... The Red Angel is, well, duh, red, uh, and ha- involves time travel. This rift is blue and involves time travel. So I don't know if there's like a red shift, blue shift thing going on here. And if the squid and presumably, you know, the time hole leads to the future, it's, you know, it's it's red, uh, blue shifted. Then the angel uh, it being red and its effects are possibly coming from the past in some way. Huh. Oh. I mean, they definitely chose, okay, if it's not related directly to the angel, don't make it red, because then that's going to make people think it's angel-related. But choosing blue specifically, it could have been orange, it could have been anything. Like, having red and blue made me think there's some kind of, like, physics, optics thing going on. That's an interesting theory. I hadn't thought about that. Honestly, all the time stuff is starting to confuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm starting to be like... Okay, just like pretending I know what's going on when I'm watching. I'm like, sure, okay, it's from 500 years in the future. Yep, got that. Like, of course, of course. It was a Stay little can see through it, but it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it, there were so many things that they were putting time in front of in this episode that I was kind of like a little bit like, okay, now what are we calling this? Right, um, right. And then they put a lampshade on, on, on a lampshade at the end when she's like, you know, it's a time tsunami, but that's that's not yeah. fun. That's bad. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I also uh, I like the part where uh, when they're in trouble in the uh, in the time rift, um, they ignite their fuel on fire, which was, a, I think, a reference to uh, Galileo 7, the episode from the original series where uh, Spock does the same in order to. Uh, signal the Enterprise as the Galileo 7 is going down. Wow. Deep cut. (laughs) Well, not really, but like, I'm surprised. Um, Let's talk about uh, Giorgio, of course, appears again in this show along with Section 31. I wonder if they were, did I miss a line? Were they following like Burnham around? Because Burnham uh, gets Spock off the planet and she immediately shows up on the Section 31 ship which sends the plot forward, but I'd have to imagine that that's the last place that Burnham would really want to bring Spock. Like, great, I just got him out of here, and now Section 31 wants to get their, their hands on him. 
Mm-hmm. Well, didn't they decide to turn them in? Oh, okay. Like that's the best thing. Or to did do. I make that that's... up? No, yeah. you're you're probably right. Because yeah, because but mom and dad have a fight, and then mom and dad are also like, yeah. <laughs> "What kind of trouble have you gotten yourself into now?" Okay, we got to get out of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have in my notes. <coughs> excuse me. You know, my notes kind of go chron- chronologically, and so I have in my notes um, about midway through. Leland seems all right, and then a little later, I've got oops, and then near the end, I've got <coughs> double oops. <laughs> Because, of course, yeah. we find out in the episode that Leland does not have good intentions towards Spock and apparently is responsible for the death of Burnham's parents. Discuss. Yeah. Uh, well, not a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> Who is lying about what if he is responsible? And or how, what did he do? You know, because, like, wasn't it the Klingons that attacked their, like... Where were they? I don't know. Her parents. Uh, the the logic center or something like that, right? No, the, I thought the logic center was when she was a kid and they got bombed. Oh, two different. You're right. Yeah, her parents died. Then she was on Vulcan and the extremists bombed it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we don't. That's that's something that hasn't been filled in. So if he killed her parents, because I thought they said that it was the Klingons that attacked her parents thing. Yeah. Maybe it was Section 31 guys in uh, Halloween <coughs> Spirit Star masks. Play on masks. That could be. Um. So that's not great. Um, although that does answer a question that was in my mind, which is if we're going to do this Section 31 series, which is nominally a, a Giorgio series, will, say, Leland be there and... Will she be good, you know, or will she be like mm, bad but good or just bad? And they kind of got us or they got me at least before with him sort of making up with Pike in, in a previous episode. I was like, OK, maybe this guy's not that bad. And Giorgio's like, she's going to be bad. Now, I think it's different. I think Leland's not going to make it out of season two. And Giorgio huh. has shown that she can be, I don't know, kind of pragmatically benevolent in certain cases. Yeah. Uh, like the way that she helps uh, Michael and Scott. And so maybe, oh, not Scott, Michael Spock. Uh, Michael Scott, different show. Uh, but uh, so maybe going into the Giorgio series, she'll be like, she's bad, but she's good. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to go for like an anti-hero angle. And if she only knew. You know, like, I don't know. If she only, hey, we, <laughs> I just thought of something. <laughs> We don't know. It, the mirror universe is totally different. So maybe they knew about Vaharai all the time. So they were just having those, like, they were just having those Kelpians hang around until their ganglia fell out. And then they just prepare them right there at the table. Right. Nobody's got to die. Right. <laughs> Sneaky oh red color, guys. Nice. <laughs> Uh, anybody else have anything else that they wanted to say? Uh, anything that they w- were uh, just burning a hole in their brain about this episode? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm a little underwhelmed by the final the final reveal of my my son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, um, in last last week they had the teaser with him in it. 
So the right. second they were in the cave and we heard him, it was like immediately like, oh, it's Spock. Time for the scene that we saw last week. And I was like, oh, that was kind of a, that wasn't really what I wanted out of yeah. this. But, um, you know, obviously he's crazy. So they're going somewhere with it. So yeah. I want to trust. Well, we expect, we expect to see, you know, Michael find herself in a situation and somebody's got a gun on her and then a hand grabs the shoulder of the guy who's holding the gun and the guy collapses to the ground and, <laughs> and then he steps into frame yeah. and cocks an eyebrow and says fascinating but you know I, I like the fact that if that's what we expected you know they didn't want to give us that so this is something yeah. a, a little different mm-hmm. I think it is fascinating and <laughs> to coin a phrase that they are going to do this <laughs> apparently next week they're going to go right into Talos 4 like right away like this thing that mm-hmm. has been a part of the mythology since the cage and I guess really since the menagerie and so much so that, the, you know, they've got this rule that comes up every once in a while that it's like, that's the one rule they have that still has the death penalty. And they're like, screw it. Let's do it. If we're going to, we're going to use every part of the cage Buffalo, we're going to take every single piece from there. And so who knows what could happen <laughs> now? Like we could meet Vina, like who knows? Like we could meet, you know, other characters, but you know, we can meet the purple chicken. Like, uh, I want to see that purple chicken. <laughs> I'm going to go the whole way. Mika, yeah. is anything... Mika? Yeah. Um, well, like, I think you mentioned this when we were, uh, like, the, so the time tsunami is happening, and it's like, <laughs> there's Kaminar right there. And it's like, <laughs> we're just keeping you. Bye-bye. Yeah. I mean aren't you kind of worried about the planet and like the effects of this time tsunami? Aren't Denmark, you gonna, get us like, out of here. <laughs> yeah. I okay. know. Like, aren't you? Even leave the and... Yeah. <laughs> they uh, do so much just like full warp away from problems. Yeah. <laughs> in this show. And every time I'm like, isn't it like, is it safe to just jump to warp right next to a time rift? Like, are you going to stretch it or something? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> When the rift is next to a planet, yeah. Kaminar like, babies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Gonna go back and they're all little baby baby Kelpians. I um I wanted to point out, uh, and not to criticize, but just to once again point out uh the continuing just breathtaking authority problems on disco. Uh once again <laughs> once again Tilly and Stamets come up with a solution and they just go running off to the transporter to just, you know, get it done. And nobody, like, calls Saru and is like, uh, hey, we got this idea. Uh, we're going to use the transporter. So that's what's going on if the transporter suddenly comes on. Like, on other shows, you know, they'll be sitting on the bridge and, you know, Data's suddenly like, somebody's using the transporter or somebody's grabbed a shuttlecraft. But everybody on Disco just kind of just is a genius. So they come up with an idea and they run off and take care of it on their own, like, right away. I totally didn't think about that. And then they, they're back. Nobody's, so then they're back on the Saru. bridge later and they're like, Stamets is over there. And he's like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing now. Right. Yeah. I know Saru's the substitute, but you have to treat him like your regular teacher. <laughs> he just never gets to be a real captain. Every time Pike leaves, everyone's just running around right. <laughs> behind his back. Oh, no. <laughs> and there was one more nerdy thing that I wanted to point out, and that's we see this weird pattern uh, on the computer screen and then like later with uh, Dr. Robot, uh, Arium, when she's being taken over, we see like these three red dots that represent, we don't know. And they look to me like, uh, like Brainiac, like Brainiac in DC comics uh, always has oh. those, those dots on his head like that. And that pattern usually. No, that's, that's funny. funny. <laughs> so maybe that's an, an 
interesting coincidence. An homage, yeah. Yes. Well, we've already been talking about what's coming up or what we think is. So let's go to our forward-looking segment and ask ourselves what's coming up. Uh, what are the lights? Who is the angel? Uh, what's going to happen with Spock? Uh, what other things will they put time in front of? Uh, let's speculate on what we think is coming up in season two. Mika, got any uh, wild pitches for us? Um, I just, I guess I want to see more from Spock and I want to see more than just incoherent ramblings. Like, uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> principles of logic. It's not incoherent. Yeah. Okay. All right. But I, I was kind of hoping that the doctors at session 31 would actually be able to help him and not like hurt him. But he seems like, like he's still out of it. And I'm kind of curious as to what's going to happen once Burnham brings him to Talisbor, although she says she wants to know what's in his mind, and she seems to ask the Talosians if she can hear it. So, right. And I, she doesn't know, uh, but they're very powerful telepaths, so they would probably be able to pull that, whatever it is, out and show it to her. Yeah, and I bet it's the Red Angel, and I bet, um, you know, there's some... We, we don't know exactly what the connection is between Spock and the Red Angel, but it's going to be significant. That's what I think. And if 31 wants to scramble his brain, then they're trying to hide something, it seems like. So they, yeah, know, they know more than, than they're letting on. About the Red Angel? Possibly. Okay, yeah. Maybe about Metal Squid? Yeah. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> also, just like, what's wrong with him? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, he's in the cave, he's kind of just, like, rambling, and then later he's quiet, and then he's, like, half-conscious when they're, like, escaping. Yeah. But was that, like, did they put him under? Or, like, what, I want to know, like, what his issue is. Why he's, why, why is he like that? (laughs) Yeah, it is, it's interesting. Um, It seems like, I don't know, like, what could do that to Spock? That's a good, that's a good question. And it just seems like he's, I feel like he's perceived something that even he can't handle. Maybe it would, like, have killed, like, a normal person, but his amazing mental capacity is trying to contain Mm -hmm. it, you know, but it's sort of, like, leaking out of his ear, sort of. And so he's just trying to get his, his mind around it. And also there might be an element, too, of it being something that is... Um, disorganized like I, I really liked it's 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 clear that the writers of this show are like big time fans of the show and they are really not yeah there's drops and there's little like easter eggs but they're really going into the mythology and trying to find new connections between things and we've got this line from 50 years ago about Alice in Wonderland or something and we find yeah. out that, you know that uh, Amanda reads this to them and Sarek hates it because it's silly earth literature, but it's also, it's a novel about chaos. Like everything that happens to Alice doesn't make any sense. Yeah, You know, everybody's mm-hmm. running around a rock and they're, it's off with their head and the cat disappears and his smile stays and none of it makes any sense. And it's like the, it's anti-logic. And so I wonder if that will have something to do with whatever the information is that, that he is trying to understand. You know, what's so weird is that we were literally today in my Victorian history class, we were studying Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> and I was sitting in class like, yes. <laughs> the text itself or, or the historical sort of circumstances around it? Um, Kind of both. So we were talking about, like, children and, like, family life sort of um, in, you know, the Victorian era. And so we were using um, Alice as, like, 
an example, like if Lewis Carroll writes her like this, or she acts like this, or she like every Victorian child is supposed to be able to recite this poem, but like Alice gets stuff wrong. Like, what does that mean? And like, I mean, you know, normal, normal history student stuff. <laughs> okay, cool. Cause I mean, not to get too detailed, but Lewis Carroll is going to, there's an interesting story there about him and, and his subject, but look that <laughs> up on your own Wikipedia. Um, okay. Well, I think that is going to be it for our show this week. So thanks for joining us listeners. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at E I S T P O D for updates and to get notified, notified when new episodes of both enterprising individuals and this show discoverage are released. You can tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag discoverage, or you can email us at E I S T pod at gmail.com. And when you're on the internet, why not head to your listening platform of choice and subscribe to the show. Give us a rating and a review if you think of it, because it really helps us. Also, we've got merch. You can check out our t-shirts available on our T public store. Search for just enough trope on T public. That's our parent network for our snazzy Trek where we got phone cases and mugs and everything you want. So if you really want to support the show, do that. Stop by our Patreon page as well at patreon.com forward slash EIST pod. And as always, if you like this show, tell a friend. Discoverage will return on March 7th for the next episode of season two of Star Trek Discovery. That episode, as far as we know, is called If Memory Serves. And of course, we know that it will ostensibly involve the Talosians and Talos Four. So I am definitely looking forward to that. In the meantime, you can check out our main show, Enterprising Individuals, at enterprisingindividuals.com. Every Wednesday, I and a guest will discuss in excruciating detail a selected episode from a Star Trek series. We also have news from the Trek sphere, updates on Star Trek Discovery, and interviews with special guests. We just released an episode featuring my interview with Lyda Gold of Current Affairs Magazine. I talk with Lyda about the importance of utopian fiction, the implausibility of Star Trek's bright and shiny future, and learning to love Star Trek Discovery. Lyda wrote an article last year called The Disney Frontier, which was a strident but fair takedown of Discovery's first season. So if you want to hear some actual healthy criticisms of Disco and not the usual trolling, I suggest you brace yourself and check that out online. You can find my episode with Lida at enterprisingindividuals.com or on your podcatcher of choice. Mika, thanks for so much for joining us tonight. Where can people find you online? Yeah, at uh, justenoughtrope.com and justenoughtrope and Twitter and Facebook. Awesome. And what is coming up on Just Enough Trope? Yeah, well, we're really psyched about uh, the new Captain Marvel movie that's coming up uh, next week. It's going to be released in theaters. Uh, So in preparation for that, we are actually going to be reading uh, some Captain Marvel-related comics, including like her first appearance in the comics where she's actually Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel, Uh, (laughs) yes. Yes, because it was the 70s. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. Uh, so, uh, kind of looking at a, a deeper history of the character as well. Um, there have been many different people who have, uh, had the moniker of Captain Marvel or of Ms. Marvel, Marvel this, Marvel that. So, uh, kind of doing a deeper dive into, into that as well, uh, before the, the film actually comes out. That sounds great. So people can check that out at justenoughtrope.com. And Ella, thanks as always. Where can people find your show, Generations Geek? Generationsgeek.com and Generations Geek on Twitter and Instagram. And I was actually like six people away from getting into the red carpet for the UK premiere of Captain Marvel. And they cut oh, it off. No they were like, sorry, it's full. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> like I was in line and I was like, oh my God, we're all going to get in. And then there were like me and like maybe 10 other people. And they were like, sorry, like it's full. 
Like, oh. you, we're not going to have room. And we were like, oh, cool. <laughs> we'll just go home. <laughs> well, when I, hear about, like when I hear about six random accidents uh, in London, I will look the other way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get you bumped up in the queue there. Well, that's it for us. Thanks for listening, listeners. And we are signing off. This is Aaron for Mika and Ella saying live long and prosper. Bye. <laughs>